0: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, y'all? What's up, Kyle? Hey, Kyle. Hey, Jen. Good afternoon. Hey, how about that winter storm last week, Jen? Huh?
1: Well, Kyle, it, it it was not good at my house.
0: No, I know. I'm Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh...
1: Yeah, JT started JT started with a little edge of a mocking tone, and then he quickly realized that there was yeah. a potential humanitarian crisis at stake, and he... Well,
0: it
2: was funny when I made the joke. It ceases yeah, to be funny when it gets me <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was,
0: but before it got really bad, it was JT was like, ah, you guys just need to get 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 tough, get tough, and then yeah. like. The that's moment. Not, that's not what I said. That's not what I
2: said. I, I think I sent both of you a text when I said uh, Texas Christians in a pandemic, church is essential. Oh, yeah. Texas Christians when they have to grab a coat,
1: church is optional. And <laughs> that's that was actually funny. pretty accurate. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funnier before pipes were freezing. So was. I was. It
0: was. But yeah. hey, listen, if you were affected by the winter storm here in Texas or elsewhere, we're certainly not making light of that. No, it, was, it, was, it
2: became real serious. It, so, became, yeah, it, it became
0: real serious, and I. Hope Hope that you've been able to recover, and uh, it, there was a few people who messaged me last week saying that the episode, uh, what we released as uh, one of the episodes, yeah. on the <laughs> was a nice warm bomb for them. Uh, if you missed that episode, uh, let's just say I uh, I said a word in a very very. <laughs> confident manner and then I repeated it uh, and so if you missed that episode a couple of weeks back in the winter storm hopefully it will also bring warmth to you today yeah. when you go listen to it So, yeah.
1: I'll tell uh, you what I learned you want to know my takeaway from last week tell me it just reaffirmed for me that in any apocalyptic scenario I'm the one you cook into a stew first like <laughs> I am not I'm not going to make it guys so just eat me first like just put me in the kettle Great. Get it we're rolling. Going for. The, we're
2: going for the pugs first, then you're next.
1: Yeah, pugs <laughs> first. That's true. Yeah.
0: Well, you you heard it here first, everybody. Eat me first. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you can count on for these Knowing Faith episodes. (laughs) Solid gold. Well, uh, changing the topic to uh, what we're talking about today, Uh, we've been in Genesis, uh, focusing on Genesis 12 through 50. Uh, And this week we are looking specifically at Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Uh, And so uh, last episode we talked about God cutting covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And it's uh, easy to forget um, when you think about how kind of broad and vast Abraham's story is. God calls Abraham out of Ur, and as he begins to walk with uh, Abraham and Sarah and lead them, into the land that he has promised them, uh, it's, it is a walk of faith. And sometimes that faith for Abraham, like our faith is feeble. Uh, Abraham demonstrates trust and resilience at some moments, and he demonstrates distrust, doubt, and wickedness in other moments. Uh, and so we've looked at a few instances of that. Uh, and then in Genesis 15, we get the good news of the covenant that God is going to be faithful to keep and uh, to secure the blessings of the covenant, uh, even if Abraham, uh, even in the midst of Abraham and Abraham's offspring's unfaithfulness, and so God cuts covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, and Abraham immediately starts behaving righteously, right? Exactly. That's what you get when you get to 16. It's you get <laughs> you get a very trusting and believing Abraham and Sarah, and they take the righteous way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, actually, you get that word now right at the beginning of the chapter, which is always kind of a like, dun, 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 meanwhile, you know. (laughs) uh, So you start to brace yourself already. And then sure enough, right there in that first sentence, we have mention of something that is supposed to make us think back to the story right before the cutting covenant scene. We get mention of an Egyptian servant, you know, and think about, like we've talked about this a lot, but like that original audience they're, they remember Egypt, you know, right. and, and so as soon as they hear this, they're like, "Uh oh, and we're going to see that the themes that were introduced to us, the first um, encounter with Egypt are now going to start to continue on through the story.
0: Yeah, so uh, to kind of recap that, Abraham had entered into Egypt, and he was terrified that Sarah's beauty uh, might cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Egyptians or Egyptian leaders or Pharaoh uh, might look upon Sarah, uh, look upon her beauty, and say, "Well, let's just eliminate Abraham. He's the third wheel here, uh, and uh, let's uh, let's just you know go after Sarah." And so, it, uh, to avoid that, Abraham tells Egypt, and Sarah tells Egypt and the Egyptians that Sarah is Abraham's sister, sister. Mm-hmm. not his wife. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he lays down Sarah's life really for the sake of his own in that instance. Uh, and in so doing, judgment falls upon Egypt and their house. And we hear in that story that essentially when they're on their way out, uh, they're like, take a bunch of stuff, take servants, mm-hmm. take animals, mm-hmm. take livestock, take some wealth. And so are we to understand that Hagar... Is, and I hate to use this word, it seems so, but was she, was she part of that gift that was received by Abraham in uh, in the Egyptian story?
1: Yeah, we don't know if she was a gift that was received at that point in the story. We don't know how long Sarah was in the house of of uh, a pharaoh, uh, but she would have had a household servant probably. So it's possible that that's where she um, brought she brought Hagar from in the story. But I think the more important thing for us to see is this connection to um Egypt that has already been given to us as a, as a picture of self-reliance. So Mm -hmm. you saw Abram going there out of, in an act of self-reliance. And so now we're going to see Hagar herself being emblematic of what it looks like when self-reliance comes into play, when the plans of God have been clearly articulated. And and that's what we really have to bear in mind as we step into this next episode is that um, God has now more than once has said to Abram, this is how I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And so, but time wears on and faith wears thin and we find ourselves eyeing self-reliance.
2: I think it's also important to point out that this this chapter, and this is really a, a tough, just a, if you're just reading, it, it's a tough scene to read. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, which number one shows us that Moses really doesn't have any interest in uh, uh, covering up for maybe some of his of faith's greatest heroes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's telling the whole story of mm-hmm. of their struggles, of their sin, of maybe their faith, and also their lack of faith. But I do think that it's important for us to see that this story comes right after Genesis 15, where in verse six, one of the most important verses in the Old Testament We see that he believed the Lord and it was counted Mm -hmm. to him as righteousness, which then picks up in Galatians chapter three. This is the gospel that was preached beforehand to Abraham is what Paul tells the Galatians that faith come or uh, righteousness comes through this imputation of faith. And he almost goes that into this narrative right away to show even, even a righteous servant like Abraham is going Mm -hmm. to continue to struggle. And you're made righteous by your faith, not by your works. Yeah.
1: Yes, and that he'll struggle according to the pattern that he has that he has remembered in his days previous, right? Which is exactly. that's our story, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And so, another interesting thing that I think we see Moses doing in the way that he constructs the story is just as in the story of Abram going down to Egypt. If you remember, in that story, um, you, we read this thinking, "Okay, good guys." Abram and Sarah, bad guys, Egyptians, right? And I've told you that the listeners would have been, they associate Egypt as being the bad guy. But in that story, and in the one we're about to read, those roles are actually flipped. Abram and Sarah in both cases are going to act contrary to God's declared will. And the person in the role of Egypt is the one who holds the moral high ground in the story. So it was ironically, Pharaoh was the one who acted above (laughs) reproach insofar as it was possible with him in our earlier episode. And here we're going to see Hagar in the same spot.
0: Well, let me just read a portion of this just to get us going conversationally. It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked With contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Okay. So the story, like one observation here that I think is important is that, like, there's there's no narrator that steps in here and says like also this was wrong mm-hmm. like and and Jen we've talked about this I feel like we were ta- we talked about it when we were in first and second Samuel that in historical narrative passages there will be sometimes where there's a long portion of it where you don't really hear like from a narrative, like a and the voice of a narrator step in and say hey just as a Uh, reminder, this was not the proper way to go about fulfilling of the promise. And so even though the narrator doesn't say what he did here was wrong, is Abraham's action wrong here? Are Abraham and Sarah behaving poorly? Is this an immoral thing for them to be doing? Or is this like, no, they were going after the child uh, and this was one way to go about doing that?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, Moses has some big concerns in, in in the way he's telling this story to us. He's going to introduce a motif that we'll see repeated in the stories of Abraham's descendants. Um, and so what we have to do when the narrator is not saying, hey guys, look what's going on here. This is super bad is we have to ask what else do we know that can help us answer that question. And, And we have some some clues here in the way that the story is unfolded for us. One of them is the phrase and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's the language of Eden. That's mm-hmm. the story of Adam listening to Eve. And I just want to say, because I know we have a lot of women listeners, um, that the point there is not that it was wrong for Abram to listen to a woman or wrong for Abram to listen to his wife. The point is that it was wrong for Abram not to listen to the Lord. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so it could have he could have listened to anyone, his best friend on this. You know, I mean, it's, it, the point is not it's wrong to listen to women or it's wrong to listen to your wife. It's that he was, um, he is relying on human wisdom instead of on, um, the divine direction that he has received. So there's one clue there. Um, and then I think the other clue that we can see is in Sarah's behavior as things play out, she basically completely changes her tune um, in verse five and says, may the wrong done to me be on mm-hmm. you. When it's it's clear the way that the text is ordered, she's the one who initiated this plan. And now she mm-hmm. doesn't like the way that it has played out. And so um, this is just like, it's a scene of people behaving badly. Um, Hagar is sinned against. Right. Um, we can we could we could spend time talking about whether it's wrong for Hagar to look contemptuously on Sarah or not, but the focus of the narrative is really more on the behavior of um, Abram and Sarah, which disintegrates into just finger pointing and then ultimately um, to violence. It says Sarah dealt harshly with her, and the text is actually indicating not just that she yelled at her, it's that she was in all likelihood physically harsh with a woman known to be pregnant
0: yeah and a, a woman known to be pregnant at essentially her yeah at at, at not just her beckoning cuz that's not the relationship here but at her disposal like essentially she basically uh, required this woman.
1: Yeah, Hagar cannot refuse uh, right. this situation. Hagar is a pawn in this game, right? Uh, and and there and it's all operating according to the societal norms, actually, of a pagan culture, right? right? That's how this is all playing out. That this is this is fine. What could go wrong with this plan? People do this all the time. Is the way that it's it's being presented to us. Uh, but of course, things go south because the Lord demands that His people walk in His ways. And, and so Sarah, she just flips out. So you see a replaying in um, verses five and six where that, you know, she's saying you did this and he's saying, no, you did this. And that sounds to us a whole lot also like Eden, where immediately on recognition of what's happened, the blame shifting begins. So yeah, it's it's not not a pretty scene at all.
0: Yeah, and instead of God driving Adam and Eve from the garden, you have Abraham and Sarah driving Hagar yeah. from the camp. Essentially yeah. it's like, "Hey, you got to get out of here," and they basically run her out.
1: And uh, instead of an angel barring the way back into Eden, we find that Hagar is met instead. Absolutely. So you want to read that part? Yeah,
0: yeah of course. Um, hopefully I don't mispronounce a word in a way. Yeah, that take your provi- time. Yeah, thank you. Um so slowly.
1: The angel, and,
0: and if I do mispronounce a word, I want no laughter.
1: No, um, oh, we'll be gracious.
0: Yeah, uh, you have been before. Uh, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For he said, truly, here I have seen him who, who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered.
1: That was so good, Kyle. Thank that you. Was good, you didn't Kyle. say any bad words. I well, promise you, know, you practiced this uh,
0: beforehand. You know, I did, and I, I practiced it in a mirror. Um,
2: <laughs> looking. Lauren, at, looking Lauren at, come listen, come listen to this. Very, <laughs> very
0: clearly. No, I got to tell you, this is this is one of my favorite parts of the entire book of Genesis. This is not a joke.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One of my favorite parts, because it is such a picture of the kindness of God, even in the face of like the faithlessness and the wickedness of not just humanity, but of his covenant people. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you you see like, well, what, like, does God behave, how does God behave towards the most vulnerable person in this story?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like he goes towards her, he blesses her, and he basically gives her the blessing that he has given Adam and Eve in the garden mm-hmm. and Abraham. I'm mm-hmm. going to multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multi, uh, for multitude. Like. He gives to her something that he has uniquely given to his representatives in the garden, to Noah, his his elect, his righteous one, who uh, he cut covenant with after the flood, and then to Abraham. And now Hagar gets this promise mm-hmm. of now it's not the same; it's not exactly the same, but it's using the same language and it's showing to I think in my mind uh, the very kindness of God in ministering compassionately to. Somebody who's been left all alone. That's right. Who's been run out. It's a gospel story.
1: Not only that, but it's someone who has no no other options. Mm-hmm. I mean, like she's not, just, she's not just at this well because she's sad and she ran away. We're going to see other scenes of people at wells in desperate mm-hmm. situations. Actually, we're going to see scenes of, that's right, women at wells mm-hmm. who are carrying a reproach, either rightly or wrongly. And I think that's another significant thing we can notice here is this story is is pointing toward the story that many of us are more familiar with of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. She's an outcast. She's an outsider. Um, The assumption of all around her is that she's the cause of all of her issues and Mm -hmm. he removes her reproach. Yeah. And um, so I think we're seeing a similar thing going on here. JT, why are you making faces? Because we keep
2: talking about it and I don't want to keep talking about it, but how much more beautiful would this story be? If you were willing... (laughs) If you were willing to say, this is a Christophany. I mean, like you're on the precipice. Okay. And like, I'm not, I really, I'm not going to do this for long, but just think about it for a second. Like Kyle was just saying last episode that the angel of the Lord is a messenger, but now it's a gospel story of the Lord coming near to his people. The Bible says it's the angel of the Lord. And in verse 13, she actually says, yes, she, she calls the angel of the Lord, the Lord. You've, you've called out to him, you're a God, who is seeing, and Jen, you're beautiful t- retelling there. That is exactly what the second person of the Trinity does in John chapter four in Samaria. <laughs> I'm saying, I wonder if the Holy Spirit maybe wrote this text for it to have some kind of unity about how God mm. comes near to his people.
1: Oh, you know what, JT, you've convinced me. Thank <laughs> you. I know that I yes. have I know Thank that I haven't. You convinced me. It's okay. just one of those so, things that
2: we like have to get it out. I have to. <laughs>
1: so now look back though, because there's another really important thing that people need to see here that I think we miss a lot. Uh, It says, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. So you have this promise that's given to her and you're like, oh, that's really sweet and so great. Mm -hmm. But then that line is tacked on there um, because what what have we been seeing? We've been seeing this upside down thing going on where the Egyptian is the good guy and the person of the promise is the bad guy. But now we've just had a signal sent to the original audience. Hey, you know, all those people dwelling in the land of Canaan who are giving you a really hard time. Mm -hmm. Do you know why they're a people group at all? because of the unfaithfulness of Abraham and Sarah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's supposed to be a moral lesson to them. You know, hey, if you disobey, you don't think there will be generations of consequences yeah, if you absolutely. do so.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a, that is a crucial part of this that is often overlooked, which is here you are getting kind of a Genesis story of sorts for what will go on to be the, the chief problem of post-Exodus Israel, uh, which will feel like, okay, uh, how do we negotiate these relations with all these people in the land? It's like, well, uh, you have failed in that before. And Israel, And we'll see over and over again in Israel's life, they will fail at that over and over and over again. And I think one of the things that if you're a listener to this or if you're just a casual reader of Genesis, you might be asking, and, and I think it's worth just talking about, why can't Ishmael be the promised child, right? Like, I know that may seem, duh, but it, I don't think so. I think a lot of people are like, "Hold on, God said He was going to give a child. Here's a child now. Now, uh, God work, doesn't God work all things for good? Like, why can't Ishmael be that promised child? Like, why? Like, what's wrong with that? Is is? And I think the simplest thing is just that it doesn't come by way of Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't come by way of what God said. God said this is how it's going to be, and Abraham and Sarah have chosen a different path. Is that the singular source of the difference here?
1: I mean, we're going to see that, you know, in a, in a few pages in the book, Abraham, Abraham is going to say, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before you." Right. Uh, he he says, "Can't we just go with Plan B?" Right, right, um, right, right. And you know what he's saying essentially um, is, I, I think, in the moment, it is an honest declaration of a father, you know. But mm-hmm. I think that what we should also hear in it is, did God really say? Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, because this is where we're hearing all of these patterns um, re- reworked for us in a different scene so that we would recognize things are always thus. God a- always says, and, you know, let there be, and it is so. And then he says, this is the way you live in God's ways in God's world. And then someone always says, did God really say?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it too, I've not, I've not like built a theology out about this, but just kind of, teasing it out for a second. So much of redemption history is looking to wombs and God miraculously providing the seed that mm-hmm. he promises to provide in Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. You see that here with Sarah, you certainly see that with Mary in the New Testament is that these are, these are, the, the Lord is providing the, the one who's going to come to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to mm-hmm. bless the nations through his sacrifice, through, mirac- not just through birth, but through miraculous birth. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. no, I,
0: th- I think, I think there is something there. Uh, so, but anything else that we want to hit in this particular story before we move on to uh, the story of the covenant of circumcision? Like as we kind of move in here, because we hear at the end of this, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of a son uh, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was uh, 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we've had some years, some years, There, it's been some years here. Mm-hmm. How long, what's the difference? Uh, 10 years, is that right? 13. 13?
1: Yeah. No, I think 11. Okay. It was 80, 85. Yeah, it was a total of 11. So he's 75 when he receives the promise. 85 when the scene plays out with her getting pregnant. 86 when the child is born. Okay. So I think the things we need to look at as the chapter wraps up, um, we should be interested to note, it doesn't say, and Hagar called the name of the child Ishmael. It says Abram did. And this is pretty interesting because if you're Hagar and you're told by the angel to go back to the place where violence was acted upon you, how are you feeling? Like, I'm heck scared. no, I'm not going back there. But what we can see is that she carried the words of this prophecy back with her and she received a hearing. She was believed. Uh, and so then Abram um, makes good on what the Lord has said by naming the child.
0: We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit guide to Gospel Generosity dot com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Your copy today.
1: Ishmael. So it's a, it's a, again, it's a, it's a creation motif of, and God said, let there be. And it was so.
0: And so right after the conclusion of this, I mean, really, if you look at chapter 16, verse 16, when Abram was 86 years old, uh, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram, that first line of chapter 17, now Abram was 99 years old. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> just, so now just keep in mind, Abram is 13. Uh, or oh, he, there's
1: your 13. Was that the 13 right. years you meant that's, earlier? That's I'm that's sorry. I, I didn't. Yeah. Sorry.
0: I thought that's what he was asking. Um, I was like, you so, guys
1: aren't very good at math. <laughs>
0: So, uh, so Abram is 13 years older, which means he has like a 12 to 13 year old son by way of Hagar. Ishmael's is running around. He's basically a tween. Okay. So, you know, things were crazy already in Abram's household, <laughs> right? That was a tween joke. Sorry for all the tweens out there, all the tween fans of Knowing Faith. Uh, so when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And what we have here, and I'm not going to read all of this, is a rearticulation of the covenant. Mm-hmm. That's what we have. This is a rearticulation it, it of also, the covenant.
2: Also, just to keep the motif going from, from spring, I know we're not at the well anymore, but similar to what Jesus says at the well, go and sin no more. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: Yeah, I'm, that's good. Yeah, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may, make, I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. It says so. Abram responds there. He says it falls on his face, and God speaks to him. My, my covenant was with you. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. No long shall uh, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be. Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, and I will give to you the land. So we get that. Pro- we've we've talked about this before. We talked about it a lot last season. We talked about it a little bit a little bit this season. Is that the covenant promise? Here is a promise of what these four P's that we've used, right? JT, why don't you do? the two of them and I'll hit the other two.
2: Yeah, so the ones that are, are I think, most clearly here are place and people. And we should be thinking about place and people. We see this in Genesis chapter one and two that that God creates Eden, this place, this this paradisical, beautiful place where Adam and Eve are supposed to worship God, obey his word, and ultimately extend his glory to the rest of God's place, the creation. That's the the cultural mandate that they're given. But they themselves are set up as image bearers, as a dynasty of image bearers. That's the people, uh, P, place and people for that, that are, are above creation. They're supposed to reign and rule and take dominion over all of God's creation. And here you have Abraham and Sarah, the father of many nations, which was supposed to be true of Adam and Sarai having her name changed to Sarah, which means princess mm-hmm. as a dynasty of image bearers that are meant to reign and rule on God's behalf over all of his creation. So what we should be seeing in, in this paragraph right here at the beginning of Genesis 17 is what God promised in Genesis chapter 12 to Abram and Sarah to basically start over with them is now taking place. They are a new dynasty of image bearers, Adam and Eve, a new Adam figure and a new Eve figure whom God is going to bring his kingdom through.
0: Yeah. So that's that people in that place. The other the other two that we often talk about is uh, presence and purpose. Mm-hmm. And we see that here too. I mean, you see how many times God is saying, I am going to do this. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to bring you here. And uh, this little uh, this conversation between God and Abraham ends with just saying, listen, I'm going to give you this and your offspring and I will be their God. Essentially saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to establish you in the, this land that I'm going to give you, this place that I'm going to give you. I'm going to establish you as a people. But how does he start that off? Well, that's the purpose side of things. Uh, he says, walk before me and be blameless. This is like Abraham is Abraham and his family. There is a mode by which they're supposed to be living. They are supposed to be reflecting the character of God and walking and riding. Righteousness. And so the purpose for which he's establishing his people with his presence in this place is that they might extend the light of Yahweh over the world, exercising dominion over all things. And the covenant, uh, this, the symbol that he's about to prescribe for them is a demonstration that they're actually going to carry God's purposes for them on like in their bodies. Essentially, he's going to mark them uh, with uh, a distinct mark that symbolizes They belong to Yahweh.
1: I feel really safe having Kyle talk about this, don't you, JT?
2: <laughs>
0: That's great. Does it feel? So, like, Kyle, go further. Yeah. <laughs> does, it, does it? Does it feel <laughs> a little bit like I'm dancing with like a nuclear bomb right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's like come oh, oh. um,
2: They came to Shadim and we're circumcised.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're talking about four P's as we go into a section on, <laughs> on circumcision. circumcision. Oh, no. oh, good. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need to move away from the consonants. Hey, Remember there, but,
2: the skin mm-hmm. in the game joke that we made a few oh, years no, ago? No, JT. No. Sorry, I'm so sorry.
0: Honestly, I'm so I, 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 if I had Knowing Faith Bingo set up for this, for this, session, it that would have been in the center. Yeah, would have been the gimme space. Uh,
2: but, but, but just something, if I could, yeah. Kyle, you might, you might be getting ready to say this, but I've thought some more about this since we've talked about this before, and maybe this is. Really simple for people, they've thought about this. This is new ish for me because I've always wondered like, why this symbol? Why not something else? Why not get mm-hmm. a tattoo on your arm or why not? you know there's there's a number of different things that could have that could have been this this symbol for cutting this covenant, but it is is obviously very tied to the promise that's been given, specifically offspring yes. mm-hmm. and also that the offspring one day is going to shed his blood. This is a very bloody scene here mm-hmm. as Abraham is going to be circumcised as an older man. And then, of course, uh, others are going to be circumcised as older men, uh, that they're being reminded that one day this offspring, which is going to come through our seed, is going to shed his blood for our sake so that we can have the righteousness of God. And, of course, this is all pointing to, to the gospel.
1: Yeah, I have a note here in my notes, just in case you guys thought we'd just make all this up on the fly. I did actually bring notes today because anytime I get to teach on circumcision, I I, kind of want to say it exactly right. Uh, And one of the uh, commentators says, the vehicle for begetting is marked. Like yep. that's the way that he says it. He's like, it's because of the nature of fruitfulness and multiplication. So that there would be this reminder. Uh, and then also uh, he noted also that it's a warning that those who have, that will forsake the covenant will themselves be cut off.
0: So this this symbol is a picture, uh, you're, uh, like JT, like you were just saying, it's tied into what is uh, a huge part of the promise that God has given that there is going to be through a, through the offspring of Abraham and through the offspring really of Israel, there's going to come a savior hero. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's a really great way of talking about this symbol of circumcision because you're right, JT. I don't think there's a little bit of confusion on this. I think there is a ton of confusion on why this, symbol if you remember JT when we would teach on this in the training program oh man oh it was the q and a afterwards was <laughs> uh, field a field of bomb. landmines <laughs> it was it was really crazy to try to navigate through all the questions that showed up uh when talking through this so i do think a lot of people think about this and it's important to see that that mo- that, that the actual symbol of circumcision is going to get a lot of commentary yeah. throughout the rest of the old testament and into the new testament as well and this is probably one of those opportunities where, uh, and I don't know that we have talked about this as much on the show as we could have, but you know, you've heard this category about progressive revelation where our understanding of some kind of, of some of the key concepts that are involved in the storyline are kind of unfolded and we get a better sense of really what was going on with them as the story progresses. And as more revelation happens, when we get this initially, If you just look at circumcision in Genesis 17, it can feel a little bit like, well, that's really odd and strange. But as you move forward in the rest of the storyline, you begin to realize okay, what God was doing with His people there is He was saying, "You're going to be marked by me." And He's very clear, even in the Old Testament, that the deeper circumcision was going to be a circumcision of the heart, mm-hmm. uh, and that this was what was going to ultimately be the fulfillment of the symbol of circumcision that's given to Abraham and his offspring in Genesis seventeen. So if it feels like if it feels like, well, that seems odd, it's not where it ends. This isn't like, you know what I'm saying? The symbol of God's people doesn't end with this symbol. It begins here. It's a boundary mm-hmm. marker, mm-hmm. it's an identifier.
2: You're right, but it becomes a struggle for God's people even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. One of the primary sure. questions in the New Testament is Does somebody have to be Jewish in order to be saved? This is the first council, Acts chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Is- Peter and Paul are having enormous arguments about how Jewish does somebody have to be in order to come to faith? Do they need to get circumcised? Is the question? Right. But yeah. it's because this was such a big deal here in Acts 17 that the one day an offspring is going to come to shed his blood for our sake, and if not, they should be cut off, as Jen just said. Mm-hmm. But the, the new one, the, the son who did shed his blood, has come. Therefore, meaning this no longer needs to be a sign for all, for uh, uh, a barrier for all people. What, what was the phrase you used, Kyle? Um, a uh, an identity marker, a an boundary marker. marker. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because faith now
0: is, which is also found here in Genesis fifteen six. Yeah, and and circumcision is not the external symbol; baptism is, right? Right. That's so right.
1: you go from the bloody sign um, to the bloodless sign because the final sacrifice has been made.
0: Exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, concluding chapter 17, we get the birth of Isaac being promised in a very explicit way. And we're about to have to like really move through this. And I hate that we're going to have to do it so quickly, but uh, we'll, we'll get to come back to this. It, but it, at the end of 17, we, we hear that, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah. And everybody kind of said, "Whoo!" now we can finally just... Get rid of that confusion. Uh, Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then you get this account of the laughing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We've laughed on this show. Abraham and Sarah laugh in this story. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, essentially, how am I going to have a child? Mm-hmm. I am, you know, I'm 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old, and Abraham said to God, "Oh that Ishmael might live before you." This is exactly what he said a moment ago, Jen. Mm-hmm. He's saying like, "Listen, this is ludicrous. There's no way this is going to happen. Just accept Ishmael." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, And we hear this again, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, behold, I have blessed him, will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now the prophecy for that child is getting very specific. Specific, It's going to be Sarah and it's going to be like within the next year. So we're kind of moving closer and closer to the fulfillment of this. And the chapter ends... With uh, uh it says when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in the house or bought with his money every male among them, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him, Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, a little
1: late, uh, but uh <laughs> <laughs> not not the ideal time. Um well, we just we had the specificity of the time frame and we also had the name. Like up until this point, we've not been given the name of the child. And you mentioned that we've just had Abraham uh, laughing, right? On his face and laughing And and the name Isaac means he laughs. And so we hear that given here and we think, oh, Abraham laughs. That's why it's called that. Uh, but then we see as the story develops that there's more to it, more laughter to come and more significance to the giving of the name. So that's just one thing I think that we, we see there. And then also just uh, the idea that the significance of the timeframe means that any, 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 f- faith lapse after this point is being given within a pretty small window of time where, where there's a high degree of certainty about what God intends to do. But we see Abraham's response is immediate obedience. He immediately goes and does what the Lord has told him to do and we're going to actually see him for the remainder of the of his time in the narrative in Genesis do exactly that. He is a he is a man of immediate and unquestioning obedience.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, the question I was going to ask is we get specific mention that Ishmael is also circumcised. Mm-hmm. So isn't this odd? Ishmael is not going to be the child of promise, but he is receiving the circumcision symbol along with everybody, all the other men in Abraham's household. And I was kind of grappling with this this morning as I was thinking through this passage and the fact that we're going to be talking about today. And I, in my mind, this is kind of a proto picture uh, of what Israel is supposed to do eventually which is even though Ishmael is um, not the promised child it, the blessing that God is is putting on Abraham is supposed to go outside of mm-hmm. outside of just Abraham's offspring it's supposed to go mm-hmm. to the nations and so even though the circumstances by which Ishmael has arrived here were not motivated from a holy place in Abraham's heart and even though Hagar and Ishmael were not treated well at the beginning. And we have we don't know what their treatment was like for those 12 or 13 years. I have to imagine it was probably not fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they've probably been subject to some reproach in this community. Mm-hmm. And yet, even then, God is still saying, I am not going to keep back the blessing that I'm bestowing upon my people to those who are maybe not the promised descendants, but who are to receive the blessing from them. So is this kind of a proto picture of just how God intends to do this through his chosen man, which is is a a faulty symbol in Abraham, but is a perfect symbol in Christ. Mm -hmm. He's not just going to bless the people from whom this man has come. But he's going to bless the nations. Mm -hmm. That's right.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you think about the way Ishmael is presented in the story, uh, from a legal standpoint, as we'll see when we get into the story of Jacob and his wives, um, they could, they, they intended to adopt Ishmael as their legal firstborn now god steps in you know and in, in the midst of all of that but um and we're going to see that 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 actually goes to isaac as the story progresses but so here you have a child who um who was a potential adoptee who mm-hmm. is living in proximity to the the family of faith um and receives some blessing from it and i think it's all like this um this this picture that should give us that sense of um, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right. uh, and so he is the unfulfilled adoption that is fulfilled later uh, when the Gentiles are are grafted in. That's exactly right. That's great.
0: That's good. All right. Well, gosh, that was in, that was fun to explore that together. And uh, in the days ahead, we get to keep moving forward and get into some really, really interesting accounts coming up in Genesis 18 and 19. But if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media at Knowing Faith Podcast, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to find us on Patreon, we're at patreon.com slash Podcast. There's some cool stuff over there that you might enjoy. In our next episode, we will be talking about the story of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Grace and peace.